morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are and whatever time that you're viewing this. Welcome to the Table Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Turner, and I'm glad you came back. You could be doing anything with your time, but you chose to listen or watch us on YouTube or the other platforms that we're on. So today we're going to dig back into um, more of a, the Baton Rouge political scene. I have someone on the show who I've known this guy for over 20 I'm, years. I'm not going to give away my age, but I, yeah, I do believe it was over 20 it's definitely years over that, I, 20 that I've years. known this guy. Um, he's made his way in the business world and now he's veering off into politics. So we're going to dig into all of that. I want y'all to welcome pulling up to the table. Mr. Daryl Hurst, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great. And uh, I want to thank Terrence for having me today. I've been watching him uh, up close and from afar and just in the 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 theater, the, the arts, he has set the tone for the city of Baton Rouge. And so if you're not following him, make sure you follow Mad Game. He's doing some amazing stuff with some great people using local talent. So I'm glad to be on this podcast today. Man, I appreciate that, man. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm if, <laughs> I'm going to try to live up to what you just said. I feel good about that. But it's always about just having the best people around you. And I try to I pride myself on having really good people around me. That's, that's like my business structure is make sure you have people around you that are good for your whole atmosphere. So that's what I try to do. But thank you, though. Thank you. Now, I want to dig into it because we got a lot to talk about, man. Let's go. First, I need you to give me just a little rundown because those who are watching or or listening may not know you like I know you, but give them a little rundown about your business background first. Before we dig into the political scene, I want to know about your business background. So I'm going to tell you my business background actually goes back to my childhood. And so what people don't understand is, is that I was only afforded this opportunity because of some great men. I'm going to shout out to Sheldon Johnson, Kenny Ricard, uh, Jimmy Douglas, the guys that put their hands on me in sports when I was younger and ushered me into success in the sports world. Got me a college scholarship, college scholarships, but I chose to stay home and go to an HBCU at Southern University. Proud now, to have you at the HBCU. Man, too, it was, even though we were on you. opposing sides, but but I will tell y'all, man, listen, Daryl was a beast when it comes to sports, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I did my thing a little bit out there, man. But when I graduated from the College of Business, uh, shout out to Catrice Albert, the hardest teacher on this side of uh, glory, man. But they, they, they prepared me for life, and I got an opportunity at AT&T through a college high program that was life-changing both corporate-wise and teaching me how to be a professional, but also financially for my family. And so I, I fast forward when I get there, I get to Atlanta, I, I'm like, man, this is a new adventure for me, I'm nervous. But it became a refreshing moment because I've been told my entire life how important sports were off of the field. But I, I was continuously an athlete, so I didn't get to really see how it manifested. But AT&T was only hiring co- college athletes for these positions. Hmm. Now, what, what made you so nervous about being in Atlanta? Well, just a new city, new opportunity. I tell you, Atlanta is big. Atlanta was huge, man. But I tell you, 
Um, after being there for a period of time, and number one, for me to see black empowerment on that level. Oh, yeah. It, man, it, it gives me chills it talking now. about it right now. And I tell people all the time, we have the same numbers in Baton Rouge. We have to stop realizing that. We, we have to start realizing that we are the empowered and not the oppressed. Right. I believe we're oppressing ourselves more than we give ourselves credit for because Baton Rouge, numbers-wise, we are as empowered as Atlanta once we get our mindset in the same direction. Right. But uh, fast forward into that, man, I, I left Atlanta. I went to Houston. I worked in the oil and gas industry for a number of years. Now, what did you do in the oil and gas? So I, I, I sold AT&T services to oil and gas. So How'd that work? So think about it. You got a pipeline with pressure on it, right? Okay. I got. That's why I tell people I'm solution oriented. So you got a guy that walks around, like like the water meter readers. Think about it the same way. It's, it's a pipe in the ground, right? Right. Right. So they used to go around, open the thing up, and now they hit. They get to measure the uh, the amount of water usage, right? The the gallons used. Mm -hmm. And so, even in that industry now, I want you to think about that industry. We automate that with automate that with something called SCADA. So it measures the, the amount of gallons used, the pressure. We can put a SIM card in it, and instead of having water meter readers go out, it sends information automatically back to the database so you have access to real-time information. Okay. And so in the plants, you would have people go out and test these pipes. They would do inspections, routine inspections, which still has to be done, manual inspections. But to test the pressure, it allowed them not to lose jobs but to reallocate those resources in other areas that were more productive and have automatic information coming back in real time. And so tracking trucks, tracking people, communication. I will tell y'all, the first application that I sold was email. I had to convince people why it was so important to have email on their phone. And I'm not that old in this game, and y'all are not that old, but you got to realize in 2007, I remember it, getting email it was the BlackBerry era. Yeah. You had to pay a, a premium price to have email on your phone. And so I had to convince CEOs of companies why they should be able to have access to their email on their cellular device. Because, you know, I guess I guess people just stuck in their ways. They're like, hey, you know, I've been doing it this way, and technology is all... I think because technology is, is just ever-changing. It is. It, it's always this thing where, you know, I mean, just, just look at our phones. You can get an iPhone, whatever number we own now, today, and then in six months, they drop in the new one. Yep, and it ain't really no no difference. You just get maybe like more gigabytes or something. That's really it's it. a hype thing, man. So I've uh, I'm kind of over that piece. Whatever phone I have, I use it till it goes out for oh, me. That's but me, man. Look, when it stopped holding the charge, I'm like, well, I guess I gotta get another one now. But we, I think we're looking at phones how we used to look at Jays now. Like, oh, you got the new one? <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna tell you, I never stood in line for Jays. I've had two pairs of Jays. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. I know it has nothing to do with politics, but I, I wasn't a J kid, and so I bought my son two pairs for his birthday and thought he was going to fall in love with him. I wore his for the first time because we were the same size last week. He'd never taken them out of the box. How big is your son? 6'2", in the ninth grade, man. Just six, giving birth to gargantuan man, people. Man, I want him to be 6'10". But um, I'll go back to the business side of it. So, did state sales in Louisiana. I moved back here, worked with the government. Look, uh, state of Louisiana was my customer. DOTD, LSU, UNO, a bunch of, just a bunch of other agencies. Right. And then I went back into the corporate world and uh, got the opportunity to work with solution providers, which are franchisees on the, um, the business side. So doing business sales and local government. And so my wife and I got together. She became a uh, franchisee owner while I worked for the company. And when her mom passed, we had to make a decision of what I was gonna do. And so I stepped away from the company. She took over her mom's business. 
Um, you know, there's always little family turmoils that go through after people pass, and we work through all of that stuff and um, put the business in a really good position. Her mom's business, I took over the franchise for AT&T, and in 2019, we finished number one in Louisiana, number two in the Southeast U.S. Okay. So I tell people, and you go, I know you talked about we're getting to the politics, but understanding business is so important. I solve problems every day for companies. So when I look at the city, I don't see a problem. I see, I, I see what is a solution. I never focus on the problem. We can talk about the problem all day long. I, my wife, that's the one thing she loves and hates about me at the same time. I'm not going to say hate. But, you know, my wife sometimes just says, It's not her favorite. It's not her favorite. Just hold me, and I just want to I said, look, I'm not a mind reader. You may have to tell me when you don't want me to solve your problem, and you just want to vent to me, you want me to listen. Because the minute you come with something, I don't want you to hurt anymore. I don't want you to stress. And I'm always trying to make your life better. But I think that's that's kind of a man trait, too. Like It you know, is. We're fixers, naturally. Yeah, like, I, we I, are fixers. But I, but I, 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 let, I, let, I let her hear me, and I tell you, any man that's listening to this, at some point in time, and I, it's no, no bad thing, to my wife, when she's venting, the only thing that matters to her at that moment is her feelings. Right. And I have to understand that. And she just wants an outlet. And so I become that outlet for her. So sometimes, man, make sure you just become a listener, not always a problem solver. And then down the road, kind of in your own way, still solve that problem so it doesn't reoccur. But uh, be that outlet. Yeah, well, you know, that comes with experience, too. 15 years in the game this year, I man. I see you. I see you. 15 years in the game. Got married at 21. Um, they said I wouldn't make it past six months. 15 years strong, two amazing kids, um, and an amazing wife. Man, I'll tell you what. A gargantuan son. Yes, yes. And I hope my daughter's over six feet, too. I would love to have two. Man, why are you, two. Man, I, I, you know, I'm an athlete, man. So I believe, I, in, know, but... I believe in sports. My son is an amazing basketball, football. Oh, well, he did good in football. I'm just he saying that because I'm not that tall. That's what no, he, man. That's but... what he is. I'm saying, why, why everybody got to be big, Daryl? Why they can't just be my height? Look, I'm look, playing. no, I'm no, I'm with you, man. I'm with you, but I'm, I'm pr proud of my kids, proud of um, uh, three point and above students. Okay, um, that's not a surprise though, because athlete. you were, you were pretty, you, you were pretty. When, when I applied too. myself, yeah. and you were as well. <laughs> when I applied myself, I was, uh, I was really, I was really smart. I think I was one of those kids that got kind of bored in class because I got it the first rip. Right, I felt like I didn't have to study. And I tell you what, it created a bad habit. And then when I got in college, I had to correct that thing because oh, as yeah, it got more I complex. You, you finish your work before everybody and then be, be trying to mess with people. Like, Daryl, I'm trying <laughs> no, to get my work done look, now. They were like, man, nah, man, come play with me. Come, no, man, I'm trying to get my work done. I am done, not Darryl. done. I was a nuisance because I was bored. But that's why I understand kids so much that I work with in my nonprofit. There is a core um, level to anything that a child's dealing with. If he's If he's cutting up in class... And he's a smart kid. He's not being challenged in most cases, right? Right. And so even in that space, I work with teachers. I've done other things that have uh, helped solve challenges with, with, with kids. I've gone to parent-teacher conferences when, the, when, when uh, the parents couldn't show up on behalf of kids that I've coached and mentored. And so um, helping them has, has helped me make, be a better father as well, as well as a really a better businessman. Because I tell people when we go back to sports, sports is a direct parallel for everything in life mm -hmm. because it's adversity and it's all about how do you overcome adversity sometimes when I think about this in the middle of a play you go in the huddle right all right the team's been running something the whole game and the coach said I know what they're going to do and they come out and do something completely different 
you have a split second to be able to adjust mentally and physically to be able to address whatever challenge it is that they put before you. And so in the working world, having conversations, having dialogue, critical thinking, that's why I love sports so much. It has nothing to do with the ball itself. It has to do with how it can shape and mold an individual to become whatever they want to be, right. even public speaking, man. I'm here with you today because I've been put in so, front of so many cameras. I've had to take on leadership roles on teams. Um, just, uh, and then I've been a part of the arts too. I won't shout out to my mom. We've been pl so many plays when we were younger, but it's the same type of thing that plays give you what sports does as well, mm -hmm. communication, right? And so um, I'm, I'm not trying to be the host. I'm gonna let you no, move no, on no. a little bit, man. But, well, but. I mean, well, part of it too is people have to have to make sure that they kind of know you on a human level too. And that's why I was saying, even when we first started, you know, we're going to dig into your business background, but also, you know, before we get into the, the, the current situation that you're in, which is, you know, a political run. But I think when people are looking at people who they're going to vote for, of course, they want to get to know you on a human level. They want to kind of know, you know, what's your favorite food? You know, it's almost like dating in a sense. You, you know, you're kind of courting your your voters in a sense. I, yeah, I use. Well, I would tell you this. Know, shout out Cordy. to that, that was an old school time. Shout out still. to Ethel Snack Shack. I know y'all may think this is disgusting, but my son and I's favorite food is chitlins. Man, they have it Thursday and Saturdays. I had it today. Bless my soul. My Go ahead. mom tried to get me to do chitlins with them when I was young. I was traumatized by the uh, smell. I was we, we was in Augusta, Arkansas. My great grandmother, they all my my aunts was in there, and they were just raving. Oh, we gonna eat some chitlins, chitlins, and I'm like, oh okay. Go in there, smell like inside out <laughs> armpit. Man, my from that point on, they were like, but it don't. They, everybody kept telling me, just ignore the smell because it tastes good. I said I can't get past the smell, so you know, nah. I I think I tasted one. And it tasted good, though, right? I don't remember because the smell blocked everything out. <laughs> the, so the, the only senses were jammed up at it the was, moment, it right? Was, it, it was an overload in the senses, and I just couldn't get past the smell. So. Well, my daughter tasted them. I went to Ethel's. I hadn't been there in years. You know, I grew up um, after my parents split. We grew up in Scotland. And um, so I grew up on Ethel's, right? But I hadn't been there in years, and I went there probably about three to four weeks ago, and my daughter tried them. And her eyes lit up like, oh, my God. So I think we have a new chilling fan in my house. My wife, no, she's, she's like, that's unhealthy. We're not going to have that. Don't oh, feed she, it to. See, she's trying to drop the facts of it. And y'all oh, yeah. like, but it tastes but good. But it tastes though. great. And we're in Louisiana, South Louisiana. So we can be, we can be in the Southern Hemisphere, but I'm still not going to eat it. That's right. The well, smell. You gonna miss, you'll, you'll miss out. That's okay. I, I'll, eat, I'll eat your share for you. You know, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and slide them to you then. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it one day. If somebody, I guess, cook them up right and I can I can maybe get past the smell this time. That was over 20 years ago yeah. when somebody traumatized me with the smell. But we're we, we, we going to see. We're going to see. So, you know, we, we, we've talked a little bit about your business background, and now it brings us to, you know, the proverbial elephant in the room of what's going on with Mr. Hurst nowadays, which is your run for Metro Council District 5, correct? That is correct. Now, what sparked that? Because, you Ooh, know, you're I'm in business. You that. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you're in business. Most business people, you know, we like to kind of be behind the scenes. We just want to kind of take care of our business and, and keep it moving. What sparked you to veer off into the political lane? Well, I'll tell you, man, so when I touch these kids, and any year could be different with the amount of kids that we directly have under us. Right. As many as 100 last year, we had 70, and those are the kids that we try to touch. 
between about March and August that are part of our program, right? Um, and then we have so much community outreach that we do where we touch thousands of kids through the things that we put on in the community. And so I'll give you an example. I had moved out to Gonzales. I had horses. Uh, my Wait, call, how many horses did you have? At the time, I think I had three. Because, okay, first of all, y'all got to see, he kind of he stunned on y'all a little bit because you just kind of slid that in there, you know, I had some horses. Don't nobody just have horses. No, man. So my, my stepdad is a big cowboy. He had a place where he was renting stables and stuff. So I said, I, when they got married, I turned into a cowboy overnight. Now, I did grow up with him a little bit, and uh, some family Zachary would go ride. But I we still going to acknowledge that he's stunning on y'all a little bit. No, I just said I I'm want playing. him on horses, He's man, very so. humble. I'm, I'm messing with him when I say he's stunning. He's very humble. But so that was a stunt, though. They So they broke in my car in Zachary, I mean, in, uh, in Gonzalez. And I was just like, I found out it was some kids that you would never think would be breaking in cars, but they had so much idle time mm -hmm. that mischief was happening. And so I started having conversations. I was already working with sports in the community. And I said, you know what? I wonder what's happening in Scotlandville, where I'm from. What's happening on Hartford uh, Avenue in um, off, off of Greenwell what, what what's happening in those areas? It's East Fair Lane. So I, I I was born in East Fair Lane, right there outside of Glen Oaks. Right. But what's happening in these areas? Because what happens during the Christmas holidays is the same thing that was happening in my neighborhood. The parents were still at work, but the kids were at home. Mm -hmm. And so I said, man, I have to fix this because these kids are just. I mean, that's when you start looking at uh, youth drug use, right? Right. You start looking start at teen pregnancy. Kind of you start. And then with so much access on a cell phone now to how to do this and how to do that, it just opens kids' minds up to things that well, you and I could only imagine when we were younger. Oh, it was a lot of things we could only imagine. Only imagine. They got everything in their fingertips. Man, at the see, fingertips. See, y'all don't have the imagination we had because y'all just got it right here in your device. But it's see, logic we, and not creativity anymore. Well, what is it? They don't we know about it. Channel 77 after midnight. <laughs> Watching the waves. <laughs> you try to, I think I, yep. You have to edit that out the video. But, <laughs> but no, man. So we went through different life uh, circumstances. But when I saw that, I said, man, I know I can fix it, right? It's right. real simple. So I called Roman Banks. He was a basketball coach at the time. I said, look, coach, uh, we got to do something about this, and this is what's happening. I found out it's happening on an even larger scale. So we put together the first Christmas crossover basketball camp where we housed 150 kids. We had to stop at 150. It was like two, 300 registered. And I had to say, we regret to inform you, which means we had a good product out there. At least they thought it was going to be a good product. Right. Um, McDonald's and uh, RPM Pizza, which is Domino, sponsored all the food. Uh, Southern did a campus tour on the bus. We brought them around so they could see what the campus looked like when it wasn't an athletic event. Because most kids only see it because sports is typically the front door for a university, right? right. And so uh, Mr. Bob Renee did a great job at touring the kids. The state police stepped in and helped us actually not only run the camp because they have some former athletes, right? Mm -hmm. They ran the camp. They provided security for us. And then city police came in as well. And so it sparked. It was like, okay, there was a problem. There's a solution. I went to the daddy-daughter dance uh, that Baton Rouge General puts on. And the price of the ticket was not affordable for the majority of people on North Florida Boulevard, right? Right. So I said, well, it was a great experience for my daughter and I. I brought the first daddy-daughter dance to North Baton Rouge at the Jewel Newman Community Center. Okay. All right. Now, a lot of people do it now. I don't believe in reinventing the wheel, so I took a step back from it. Um, 
because we don't need 25 daddy-daughter dances. Right. We need to support each other, right? So right. I, I, I took a step back and supported some other folks. But same thing with the Garrett Temple Father and Son Camp. Johnny Jones called me. Uh, he's married to my cousin, so family. He said, you need to bring your son. I was like, man, I'm just getting off the road from travel ball. I'm not coming. He's like, you got to come. It's about you and your kid. So um, I go to the camp. It changed the relationship between my son and I. I mean, we became buddies, not just dad and son, not coach and son, but we got to be teammates. Mm -hmm. So I said, I need my people to experience this. Right. The camp was $450. I went for free, but everybody else had to pay. There's no way I could have done that in North Baton Rouge for $450, zero attendance, right, or two people. Right. So we made a $40 camp, and I partnered with Garrett Temple, and this will be our sixth year with the Garrett Temple Father and Son Basketball Camp. So I'm telling you this to say, and then there was another um, education supplemental group that we worked with, and we did free tutoring for the first three years. The last two years, we did tutoring a different way. And then I partnered with that same group. We were supposed to start, but COVID hit. And so the second semester, we got to figure out if it's going to be virtual or in person, but partner with them as well. And so anytime I saw a gap in the community, I felt that I could close it. Right. Because it's a, it's a business. It's the right. business of the kids. Solutions so It's solutions. Solution. That's what it is. Right. So you're solving problems. And so... But here's the deal. I got one kid right now that I thought could be LeBron James Jr. He's in jail. Idle time. Idle time. But but he's also bipolar, manic, depressive. And so when the Bridge Center came about, I literally went as hard as I could canvassing, putting out signs, because that was my first experience with mental health issues, at, at, especially in, in the adolescent teenage, right? Okay. And so I canvassed for them, and I and I worked all the time I was in Gonzales. But it was, you know, wherever my my heart goes, my body follows, right? Because uh, I believe that God gives me the passion and gives me provision to execute that passion. And so I'm in the city, man. We're moving around, we're doing certain things, and uh, my mother-in-law passes. And when my mother-in-law passed, she was living with us in Gonzales. Mm -hmm. And my wife was like, baby, I am having visions. I, it, it's hard for me to sleep. I miss my mama. This is the place last two years where we were. I can't live here anymore. So fast forward, we moved back to Baton Rouge. I don't know if God has ever woken y'all up at 2 o'clock in the morning in that place where you cannot move, but you got to go to the bathroom, but you really can't move. And, and, and so he did that for about five days. And I just said, Lord, I surrender. And I'll run for office. And so I decided at that moment that I was going to do it. Um, and he said, you're already doing the work. You've been doing the work for years. And here's the thing, Terrence, when I started running, people were like, what have you done? What have you done? I'm like, right. well, I never put my name on it. The Christmas crossover camp said Garrett Temple and Roman Banks. The, the father and son camp said Garrett Temple, father and son camp. I did a Real Dads fishing rodeo last year, right? Mm -hmm. It said Real Dads. It didn't say Daryl Hurst. Right. Somebody told me a long time ago we were getting our coaches' shirts made. And I said, should I put coach on it? They said, Daryl, when you walk in the gym, they know you're the coach. You don't have to put coach on your shirt, right? Yeah, you don't have to telegraph everything. No. And so when you're doing things in a community, the people that need to know will, will know. And the people that want to know can find out. Right. And so if they visit EliteSportsBR.com, they can go look at some of the things that we've done, some of the things that we're still doing. Um, and that, I mean, that's what kind of sparked it, man. And as I've gotten in the political game and, and I've seen 
talk to constituents about lack of accessibility to um, the administration, mm-hmm. no return phone calls. I literally had to pay $120, $140 out of my pocket to cut ditches along Greenwell Springs. I mean, sorry, not Greenwell Springs, Greenwell Street, because the, 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 the grass was 10 feet tall in somebody's ditch and they reported 311 calls. Um, and, and so when you think of, when I think about that, I think about a couple of things. You have kids that already have the, the, the odds against them because they're growing up in blighted communities. Right. Think about this. If your mom never made you clean your room up and you had old molded food on your floor, mm-hmm. that will become your norm. So when you go in, in environments like that, it doesn't bother you because what? That's your norm, right? Not. And, and, it, and it's interesting that you, that you bring blight up because I, you know, I've been on your site and everything, too. And I know that's that's one of the number one issues that you want to address. We had uh, Matt Watson on first episode, and he made the, the mention of blight and how it can impact the city as a whole as far as uh, the economy. And he told a story about how they had picked up some business guy from the airport out of New Orleans, not not the Baton Rouge airport, which, again, that's a whole other issue. Um, but they picked him up and they were taking him around the city because he was going to bring a satellite office to the city. And the story goes from from Matt Watson. He was saying that the guy rolled around a little bit, and he said, "You can take you you can turn around and take me back to my airport." And they're like, "Why?" It was like because look at all this trash around. Here. He said, "I'm not I'm not bringing my business around here." So when you bring up blight, it 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 also makes me think of how, um, not how, but the importance of fixing that issue. Is that one of the the uh, the inspirations for you as well as far as looking at the bigger picture of the blight issue. It is. So I want you to think about this. I'm a businessman, right? Right. I don't want to put my business next to trash. Right. It's the reason why I am where I am, right? So I, I have a location that I'm working out of in North Baton Rouge and one in South Baton Rouge, but I would tell you it's two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And so the neighborhoods themselves, so I'll tell you my plan to fix blight and why they are two parts and so important. So number one is creating neighborhood associations because when you put community back in neighborhood, you put accountability there as well. Right. So I, I'm not feeling comfortable walking down the street and I'm dropping a candy bar or a candy wrapper, right? Right. And I'll tell you, the people from Zion City called me and they said, hey, what's going to make you different than the current administration? I said, well, I'm a solutions pro- person. We talk about this all day. That's right. what I do for a living. What's your problem? And they said, well, our neighborhood looks bad. It looks really bad. We've made as many 311 calls as we can. We have some open from 2018. 2018. Not 19, not 2020, but 2018. So COVID is not an excuse. And we need help. I said, well, I'll handle the business side. You handle the people side. I said, because I'll never clean your neighborhood for you, but I'll clean it with you. Right. Because if I clean it for you and was about to tell you about the kids, then it's like getting a maid versus cleaning your own room. Right. You you still you still ain't going You don't appreciate do it. it. Right. And so it doesn't create a habit for you to to open the door and put it back, to drop it and pick it up, what you try to teach your kids, right? And so and it, like I said, blight becomes your norm. Trash becomes your norm. Burnt houses that should be torn down becomes your norm. Mm-hmm. And so they called me and I went to twenty five businesses between Airline Highway and Hooper Road and I, they provided all the supplies for the community. I said one simple thing. They've invested in you, it's your turn to invest in them. None of them had a problem. All of them jumped on board and said, We're glad you asked because we've been wanting to do something. 
but nobody's coming to us to help do it. And so we had to clean up 70 volunteers from the community, either people that lived there, people that grew up there, or people who have family there. So it's all people who are regularly invested in Zion City. We picked up over 20 tons of trash and 200 tires, and that was only two out of the five streets. 20 tons? 20 tons of trash and 200 tires, two of the five streets. They, um, I wasn't able to stay the entire cleanup. They came back last Saturday because of weather and some other stuff. They, it was a moving target in terms of date. Right. But I, was, I did focus on voter registration while we were out there, and um, they picked up about another 100 tires and, and a couple tons of trash as well on some other streets. So it's going to continue, man. And so, But when we talk about neighborhood associations, I've gotten Sharon Mann with Republic Waste. Mm -hmm. She's committed to pay for incorporations of neighborhood associations. I think that's so important because once we organize that same 311 call, I'm not calling as an individual. I'm calling on behalf of my neighborhood association. Now, with, 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 with neighborhood associations, because when it comes to blight, and like you were saying, uh, as far as if you have services come in and, and pick it up and everything for you, people get used to that. And what is the plan, I guess, I'm asking as far as changing the mindset to where, as opposed to me walking down the street, dropping the candy bar wrapper on the on the street, I take more pride in it and I wait until I find a trash can. Well, that's that, that, that's more of a mindset thing. But it right? is. But that's where more of the organization comes in. Number one, if it's dirty, I don't care if I add another wrapper. Right. So once we clean it up, we plan on doing a monthly cleanup day. We just walk outside and clean your yard up. Mm -hmm. If everybody does that, the neighborhood stays clean. So now we, have, we provide accountability there, all right? But they also committed to pay for a family day where you, we go to Cadillac Street Park, for an example, in Zion City, and they come out there and they eat, and we build a fellowship back up in the community. We are able to text information and create uh, a, a chain of communication that's been broken. Right. Okay? And so now, hey, on the third Saturday every month, everybody has to go out there and pick up in their front yard, right? And so... Now we're not waiting for the city to do it. We have an accountability in our neighborhood. Now, if everybody's house is clean and you're the only one that's dirty, puts a little pressure on you at that point, right? Oh, it do, because you don't, you don't want to be the only one. You don't want to be the only one. And so now, but if it's still only one house, now the neighborhood can come together and focus on that one house as a community. As opposed to 20 houses. That, that is, or, or 40 or 100 in some of these neighborhoods. Right. But think about this, even bigger. Once the neighborhood associations are formed, we're going to create a coalition of all the presidents of every neighborhood. So now we have 100,000 voters. So now when the city is not responding, and I'm including myself because I plan on winning, um, whoever's in office, whether it be the mayor, the council person, whether it be um, state rep, whomever, hey, we got 100,000 voters. What are you going to do? Because your, your whole focus is re-election, right? And that, and that makes the constituency even more valuable for them. Turns us into Atlanta. Think about it. Oh, man. See, we just, we just came. Come on, man. You brought it forward. Right I'm just telling you, my experiences in life have right. taught me how to empower my people and add accountability, not just them, but for the tax dollars that they put into the community and holding those people accountable as well. But think about this. That's the neighborhoods. Right. You got the corridors, which are the merchants. Mm -hmm. So you have merchant associations as well. Um, and I was in a debate the other night, and they asked about what was my plan so that uh, Plank Road wouldn't be gentrified. I said, well, you don't have to have a uh, gentrification because we have great business owners there already, right? Right. But think about this. Airline Highway, those lots of acre, acres, right, a couple acres right there in the, mm -hmm. in the northern part of District 5 by Glen Oaks, probably cost $150, $200 to cut that grass. 
right? Mm-hmm. So what if I pulled 40 businesses together and we got one overarching contract to cut all of these yards and now it would cost me 150 it may cost me $70 because it's economies of scale. Right. And so now I can leverage us as a whole and give a larger contract, a large, larger commercial contract to a landscaper who not only cuts the grass, but makes sure that we look aesthetically pleasing in terms of um, um, improving, improving the look of, of, of our landscape, right? Right. What if I, so now we have money left over, and I'm thinking Krispy Kreme and Tony's, why do people go there? They go there because it's clean. Yep. They go there because it's safe, and they have a good product, right? Yep. Now, if you don't have a good product, in the community. if you don't have a good product, I can't help you. I, right. can't, I can't get you more business. That's your product. That's not. <laughs> that, but that, 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 ain't, that, ain't, that ain't your department. That's not my department. But think about this. Now, we're pool, now we have money left over, but, but we're not increasing our budget. So now we can pay $10 or $20 or $30 a week for security. Right. Because we're pooling our money with businesses. But a, four, a small business that makes $400 can't pay for a security guard for $400 a day. You're net neutral, right? You're making no money. It's, it's pointless for you to be in business. But when we scale and we join and we merge and we unite our city, we can do that. Now we got street sweepers. Now we can take advantage of city grants for facade improvements right? because we're pooling our resources under one contractor. So when we do merchant associations, it cleans the corridors. The neighborhoods become clean. And now we become inviting. That goes back to blight. Now businesses want to come right. because think about it. Old South Baton Rouge to me and you ain't nothing but the bottom. That's it. It's the bottom. I still call it that. But people wanted to feel comfortable leaving the LSU game, going to downtown 3rd Street. Or they wanted to go be able to feel comfortable riding a bike up Government Street in Mid-City. And so, or downtown. So now they have Old South Baton Rouge, Mid-City, and downtown redevelopment. All we have to do is clean our corridors up the same way they did. By organizing our folks, leveraging city resources, it removes blight and it becomes inviting because now someone from the northern part of the parish or south of Florida Boulevard doesn't feel scared to come shop and have a great shopping experience. No business is going to plant where they can't have people to access them or have barriers of access from certain walks of life. So that's where removing blight stimulates economic growth. True. Now... First of all, I got to say, I, I, I do love the answers. I love how you're presenting them, and I love the fact that you have broke it down all the way so anybody who's listening, they can they can follow easily. You know, a lot of it's politicians. Important. Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of people who, and I, I say politicians, I don't really consider you a politician, you know. Community service. Yeah, we, we talked about that. But um, a lot of people who are, who are seeking office, they... They come out, you know, they got their $2 mouth. They spend out $10 words. And people Ooh, are, I like that. Ah, <laughs> and, and, pe- and people are easily, you know. They, Influenced. They, well, they, they lose interest in what you're saying. If, right. if I come in and I'm, and I'm speaking a certain jargon to you and you don't know exactly where I'm coming from with it, you just know that I'm running. I've, I've checked out the conversation. People's, you know, attention span is already short as it is. So I love how you broke that down. Now, it leads me to something else because... Uh, you said, of course, that you plan on winning. You ain't you ain't in this just to just no, to be in it. You ain't no. in it to, to try to get your name out there or nothing. No, sir. Um, they had a vote recently. The Metro Council voted on this. What was it? Maybe a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. about the Alton Sterling thing. So these are things that you know I'm asking you because if you plan on winning, these are things you might even be faced with. How would you have? went with that vote knowing you know it, oh it, i'm 100 percent for i would have doubled it to 10 million dollars right 
and I know they used a, um, a mediator to come in and, and, and say what it was worth, but there is no amount of money. That's why I'm a Democrat, because I believe in socialistic health care. I believe that you can never put a value on a life. Right. I believe in the Bible, man. And, and, and you know, when you talk about Bible thumpers, man, I, there, there's no amount of money that you can put on uh, a life. It's, that's that's Jesus' job to do that, not mine. Right. And so I've heard things of he wouldn't have never made $5 million. How do you know? You don't, you don't know. You don't know. Because you saw where he was, not where he would have ascended to be, right? Right. Um, and so I'm 100% for it. I don't think $5 million is enough. That's okay. my answer. I don't think because you can't put a value on life. Because here's the deal. It was a bad hire. So a lot of people talk about what would he have made. So you have to look at um, salary over a period of time. and They kind of evaluate some of those things. But you also have to look at a bad hire. Right. In the police force. Right. And Chief Murphy Paul, shout out to him. He came out and stood against all odds and said he should have never been hired. Right. And because um, if, because even even when we look at 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 that former officer's record, it it clearly shows someone who should have never had a badge. Right. Correct. Especially like I said, knowing what we know now, you know, this man probably should have never had a badge. Yeah, and so because we accepted fault and we accepted blame, and uh, I would have voted 100% yes for it. Um, had I been that seven vote, it would have passed. Okay. Now, you're getting into politics in, in this stage, and I know a lot of people say, you know, I'm just getting into it for this, for this one reason, and then, you know, come in, do the job, and I'm out. But do you have any future political aspirations past this? Well, when you're a man of service and you have a heart for God, um, God is is your is your your GPS, man. Right. And so I didn't plan. I didn't know I was gonna move back to Baton Rouge to be able to run for office. Period. Right. Right. And so he had other plans for me. So the same way I listen in this place, what I plan on doing is getting in office, making a, a an immense difference in District Five, bringing programming and after school resources that don't really exist right now, mm-hmm. taking what I've done with youth. We talk about the plank road crime thing, right? Mm-hmm. This came up in the debate too. Um, the the center's typically closed after 4 p.m. But one of the main things that I hear saying out of every politician's mouth, including the um, the District Five leadership, is that we need to have alternatives for them to do. Well, if your community center is closed at 5 o'clock, then you are not part of the um, solution. You're part of the problem. Streetlights ain't come on yet. Man, come on. So And you so, remember the streetlight curfew. Come on, man. So so here's the deal. So this was my solution. Right. And, and, and the response was that there's no sustainability in the black community with, with the things that they've tried to put in, in, in place. Terrence, I'm in your amazing studio right now. How hard would it for you, be for you to have a partnership with me over at the Charles R. Kelly Center and do an acting class for kids and, and, and use your camera to, to expose how beautiful our young black minds are? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be hard, though. Wouldn't be hard. It's about, it's about having – and I always say this, man. Love is an action word. I never have to question, does my wife love her husband? I never have to question, do my kids love me? Right. Because I it's shown see through it action. every day in the actions. And so when I say love is an action word, effort is, an, is the action that we're looking for. It's not always the result, but it's the effort. And so we have to have programming. Another thing that came out of that conversation, because I was like, 
Well, how many businesses want to open but don't have the ability to that focus on youth, right? And so they say, I always have these great ideas but don't have the the ability to get brick and mortar to house these ideas. Right. So why can't we use it as a small business incubator for the arts? And before you had this studio, you would have probably appreciated something like that. Where True. you teach acting classes or you show how to use the cameras the right way because you're a, a genius with that. And His words, not mine. I take it though. It becomes a profit sharing opportunity through a cooperative endeavor agreement or MOU. All that really means is a contract with the city. It's two different ways to do it, right? And so now we get you get seven dollars off of every ten dollars, and we get three dollars. So your business gets the opportunity to grow without overhead. Mm -hmm. You cover the cost of the center in terms of personnel that has to be there and lights or whatever else was used, cleaning supplies to clean after your kids or janitorial services. And everybody wins. The community wins, the business wins, and the council wins because now we're taking kids off of the street. Right. We're we're, we're, we're getting rid of that idle idle time, right? Right. And we're putting them in a position where they – are great public speakers? Are they able to take karate class and take that anger out from not having food at home, and and and, and redirect that into something positive, man? And 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 that's a great reinvestment into the community. Uh, it, it brings me to uh, back to when uh, I was a photographer for for Channel Two here when I when I graduated college after I graduated college, and I remember being in there and the current anchor of WBRZ right now is Michael Shingleton, right? Mm-hmm. I can remember when Mike was in college when I was there full time and he was allowed to come in, work with the cameras. They let him go out and film high school football, all this. Now he's not technically an employee. He's there, you know, as a, as a college student, but the fact that he was able to get that early now look at him, he's an anchor. We don't have that same network. So I, you know, I I love the idea that you have as far as building that, as far as, you know, you know, say you, you had someone who came in, like you said, and taught acting classes at the community center. Now what they're doing is because these these uh, these kids are being exposed to it early. Now they have a passion for it and now they see a pathway. Or if I come in and I'm filming something, I'm showing them different things like that. Right. If they learn how to work camera at 12 or 13, by the time they're 17 or 18, they're pros at it. That's correct. So if they're pros at it at that, at that age, now they have a skill that they can generate legal means of money with. That is correct. And the little music videos that, they, that, that all these right. kids, every kid wants to be a rapper. Or short They can do it themselves. So I will tell you, when I lived in Houston, Hightower High School was amazing at that. They had a film production studio and a recording studio for music from ninth grade through 12th grade, man. And some of those kids came out there and put some great productions down, some great underground music, and they're doing, still doing really well today. And so, but bringing that programming, man, is so important to the community. Without programming, we are as complicit as everybody else to not have access. Now, that's what I tell you. You got people like Kids Orchestra. It'd be great to bring them in a community center. They provide the instruments. They're grant funded. But if they don't want to come, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Southern University, find an ex-band member who who's now a music teacher right. and get my own grant or find my own funder, and we're going to bring the same thing to the Charles R. Kelly Center. So community bands, I mean, the arts are beautiful, man. I believe in sports, but I also believe in arts. 
the sports I got it covered. Anybody wants to play, you come to me. Right. I have an outlet for you or can. And you can do both. You can you can do the arts and sports. Well, you can, but I'll just tell you, it's not really set up for a sports facility. But there's a brick gym right down the road, well, no, so we'll I, take care of that too. Yeah, I, I wasn't saying as far as the brick and mortar. I'm saying as far as just you know, letting a kid do both. You oh, know, well, oh, one hundred. Yeah, yeah. You don't but have that, just. But that's the balance she need though. Right. I think sometimes the arts bring the sensitivity and the sports <laughs> brings the roughness. So, right. I mean, I think having a great balance there makes a well-rounded individual. And when you put the academics on top of it, man, I mean, they can be whatever they want to be. Now, because we are in political season, um, and I feel like this is very relevant to the times that we are in, we, we hear a lot about voter suppression. We hear a lot about gerrymandered districts, this, that, and the third. Um we the, the 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 production team here with Mad Game early this year, we actually did a whole story about our current Secretary of State in Louisiana, Kyle Ardwin, uh, about how he violated state law. Um, the Secretary of State is supposed to be an apolitical position where you know you you can be affiliated with a party, of course, everyone has right. that right. But as the chief elections officer, you can't come across as being biased towards anything. So last year when we had our governor's race, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with the story of our secretary of state but last year we had the governor's race and he openly he, he went to a rally uh president trump was there eddie Responi was there and he comes out to the crowd and he's like you know who do you want for your president and he's asking you know we're we gonna win and the exact words that he said were we will win with donald trump that is our current secretary of state at a political rally state statute 1818-2 says that he's not allowed to do that no one has held him accountable about that. You are seeking office right now. We are in a, we're in the election period where there seems to be a lot on the line. How does that make you feel to have someone where they could potentially, or they, they're coming across where they may even tip the scale? Well, I looked at National Voter Registration Day and the site was down. Yeah. Yeah. So something, something is reaching is that, man. And it was uh, uh, the, on that particular day, I, I believe, I don't quote me on what the screen said, but it, it was they were having an upgrade or something of that nature. It was, it was they had scheduled maintenance is what scheduled maintenance. Is, so, is what Kyle so how would you said. schedule maintenance on National Voter Registration? And it's an day? annual day. It was come already on. picked. Come on. So so when I look at those types of things, we need to make better decisions as voters. And honestly, we have the numbers in Louisiana to get them out of office. And so that's when we start pooling our resources, not just registering people to vote around election season, but make it an ongoing thing annually, a monthly thing, right? Right. Um, to make sure that we register our, our communities. Because if, if, if we get out to vote as black people, then he may not be in office right now. Right. And I think when we the low turnouts that we have are very disappointing. And so we do have a strategy for that, not just for District 5, man. But when I talked about a coalition in North Baton Rouge, I didn't talk about District 5. I talked about empowering North Baton Rouge as a whole. And so when we leverage that and we have a whole plan of how we're going from the council to neighborhoods to block captains, creating social organizations within uh, social committees to create opportunities for families to get out. We will have voter registration in everything that we do, whether it's in my district or somebody else's that I'm a part of, because your voice is your, uh, it, it, your vote is your voice. Right. And you cannot complain about things if you don't get out and make a difference. You cannot. Now, Another thing that I that I look at as far as what our community is, and not just our community, but just, you know, 
all over the country you have activists that come in um that that speak some of them come across and they're very genuine some do not um one of the more recent things that i saw and i know you being a parent you pay attention to things like this as well too um we recently had the resignation of our school superintendent leslie brown right and i know that that was a huge thing over the summertime as far as the school board picking the next secretary uh not secretary of state uh, superintendent it's the, okay the, i got the, you the, 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 you're allowed to be human man you're allowed to be human the newest superintendent um and they had a vote again it, it ended with a you know with a, with a very close vote um you as a parent how do how do you see as far as the the, the functionality of our school board in this district well, well a lot of people that are making these decisions if you look up the makeup of public schools i want to say don't quote me on the numbers but we're somewhere around 70 80 percent african-american i believe so I've been in the public schools but you have a majority white board making the decisions for the kids of our community right right and so I disagree. We talked about this earlier is that some of the biggest issues is that people who speak up for our communities don't understand the needs of community. Right. Even when we talk about crime in North Baton Rouge, a lot of it is not because these are criminals. You know, I have conversations with Republicans all the time because dialogue opens mindsets. Right. Right. And so I said, man, think about this. As rich as you guys may be, because the people I was talking to at the time were affluent. If I took all your money away from you and you couldn't feed your kids, six months down the road, you may do something that you never thought you would do because now it's about a necessity that I cannot provide, right? This, this, this experiment was put on display in... And I, I know you've seen this movie too because you know you, me, and you about the same age. Trading places with Eddie Murphy and Danny. And, and oh Dan no! To that, me, first of all, that, that is my favorite movie in the whole wide world. To me, that just that it's just a great shows depiction. It. It's a great depiction. It just shows what can happen if you look at how Eddie Murphy was in the in the same was in a certain place. They put him in a different and look at how he flourished. So, which, so, which brings me back to the Alton Sterling point, how you made where people were saying he would have never made five million dollars. You don't know that. You don't know where he would have went. Well, by. I've heard people talk, and I won't get into the facts of the case. I'm not a lawyer, but I mean, anybody in the African American community that took a plea, I don't know if you're guilty or innocent, right? Because I know a lot of us can't afford attorneys, so your backstory doesn't matter to me. Who you are today is all that matters, right? Right. And so I've, I've heard a lot of people try to use that against him, man. But I've seen so many people take pleas. Because they the, the sentence, they just didn't have no other option. They didn't have any other option. That's correct. They want to stay out of jail, go home. So um, he was out there trying to feed his family, doing something honest, and it, it went wrong. But what I will tell you is this: that boils down to socioeconomics. Mm. If he had a job that was paying him fifty to seventy thousand dollars a year, do you think he'd been selling CDs on the corner? Hell no. Hell no. So socioeconomics matters. He would have never been put in that situation. So what we have to do is partner with our school board members partner with higher education, our state legislators, federal legislators, because education equals income, which equals outcome. Right. All right. Now, that's not in the books somewhere. That's something that I've, because that, that I put together, because if you look at the education level of a, of a specific zip code, I can tell you how successful you're going to be. I can tell you on average how much money you're going to make per year, right? Right. And so um, when our median incomes are $30,000 or $20,000, you're the working poor. Right. 
So all you're doing is working to pay your bills and you're still stressed out because you're so tired of being a working poor that you do something that you never did before and you go spend a little bit of money and now you can't pay your bills. Now, and you, you, start, now you get jammed up. Now you get jammed up. And so we have to find a way to make our people to re-educate the 25 to 55, the parents that we have of our kids. We have to find a way to make them employable. We have to find jobs that they can be employed by. And then if you're a felon, we have entrepreneurship opportunities. And I tell you, I got a whole plan that does all of this. So I'm telling you just parts of my plan. Right. And then the final piece of it is home ownership. And what I will tell you is I've worked with guaranteed bank board members. They're trying to get rid of $22 million. And they've committed some of that to ensure that uh, people in North Baton Rouge that have mortgages, non-traditional mortgages of 50000 or less, they get a fair shot. They don't get predatory lenders. They don't right, get other, right. other people who typically wouldn't give a loan of that size. But they say if you're getting a – this is a, your primary residence, not an investment property, and it's under a certain amount, they expect a certain type of buyer. So it's a high risk, right? Right. And so – but when you focus on the underserved, maybe they do charge a little bit more. Instead of three, they charge three and a half, right? Yeah. Percent. So they make more money, but they take less risk. Because I said, what if you can get somebody to get a $3 million loan? It was like, you know somebody? We need, we need some good debt on our books. Yeah. I said, but what about $130,000 loans? Now you take the Walmart approach, you can charge a little bit more, but they're still paying way less than they would for rent, right? Right. This is just the business side of me coming out. Yeah. Um, and now we focus on home ownership. And in our community, we talked about blight. I want to do blight tours. I want to go in front of the houses. I want to work to create a bidding process so it creates impulse buyers with developers on site. Those developers then put those houses back in commerce or tear them down and rebuild, whatever they decide to do. But we create lease purchase processes, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're not ready now, financial literacy, credit repair, why you're, because we've, are in three, and with my, with my plan in four to six years, um, and sometimes a little bit sooner than that if it's more technical degree focused, you can go from welfare to a disposable income of forty to $60,000. And so, now that I had this money, I never had it before, what am I going to probably do? Like most athletes do. They blow the money, right? Exactly. So you got to have education along You have way. to have the financial literacy piece, the credit repair piece, then the home ownership. So while you're going through our plan, if you decide to be in one of these rent-to-own properties or lease-to-own properties, by the time you get off of it, you've built equity in the house that you're renting. So you have to think outside of the box, Terrence. I have not seen this happen on a grander scale. I've seen it with investors, but investors not running our city. No. Well, I like the mindset. Now, I, I, I want to kind of double back a little bit uh, to the to the school board thing. So this is something that, you know, me personally, I've been critical of. I've been called a hater for this, too. But I want to get your opinion on it. All right. So. When the <laughs> I heard the, I heard the, the, the side sorry, man. I look, I'm not the school board member, but I'll do my nah, best. No, nah, you're not, you're not, but I'll I, do my I, best. But when you know, with, with this podcast, what I also want to do is just get genuine opinions about things. So, in order for me to you know advance and everything like that, I need to be able to bounce some things off of people's you know, let's, let's go. So, I, 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 I was critical of the Bi County movement. Here's why, though, because um, the people who were behind it, they would tell people, call the school board office every day so we can get Connie removed. Connie Bernard is still on the school board is the last time I checked, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I was critical of it because calling the school board, we know, is not going to remove an elected official. Correct. If we read the rules of what's going to remove Connie, she either has to resign, 
they have to do a successful recall petition, which she would still be able to run again within the recall because they could they could try to recall it, but that's just putting her back on the ballot. That's basically calling a special that's election. Right. Saying the same people that voted for me, come out and vote for me again. That's right. Exactly. What I was saying was, let's be more strategic about it. Not defending Connie Bernard, but what I'm saying is, let's let's employ some research. Let's look at the district that she represents. The information is there. We can get that from the Secretary of State's office, which as far as, you know, how many votes were accumulated for this particular party as opposed to this particular party. That can kind of give you an insight on the people who would vote to keep Connie Bernard as opposed to people who would vote her out. Um, me saying that calling the school board is a fool's errand. That's what I called it. It was a fool's errand because it did not result in anything. You can do all the hashtags you want. You can get all the support from people outside of the district. If you don't have the people inside the district to recall her, it's a fool's errand. No doubt about it. So I wanted to say all that to get your opinion on as well because I was called a hater online because I was saying that the whole by county movement, they were going about it the wrong way. Well, so that's not my approach. I've been told I'm not an activist because I don't go out there and yell and march and do all of that kind of stuff, right? Right. I'm a businessman. Take care of business. Business has to have strategy to it. And so if I'm going to march, I want to know after this march, what is the next step what to go sit us? down to provide a resolution? I just, now for some of these kids that came out and they just were frustrated and then they needed to vent in that march, I supported the one downtown. I, I did. I do too. I, I did. Too, I saw, I, so I, I'm not against marching. I think marching is strategic. But I've had these conversations, typically in civil rights movements, marching was the last thing that they did when they felt they couldn't do anything else. And it was a part of a, a, of a broader component structure with, with what they were doing as far as marching. People forget that the marches started because they were boycotting the buses. They were still, they, they, they had a destination they were going to as well, initially, right? Right. So that, that birthed it, you know, but they were also carpooling and everything because they wanted to, to, um, bring to, the, the bus companies to right. their knees because it was an economic thing. And it worked. Exactly. But it was a strategy behind it exactly. is what I'm now, trying to tell you. For me, so just going to march to say we shall overcome, we've been saying that since the 60s and I'm for it, but I'm all about putting a plan together to it's make too cosmetic us, for me. But, but, but I'm saying to make us overcome. Right. Versus talking about, that's why I said well, I'm not focusing on the problem. I want to focus on the solution. So for the young kids that need an event, I have no problem with that. Scream to the top of your lungs. lungs you're, sick. I'm, you're sick of it. I'm sick of it, too. But I don't just want to be an agitator. Right. I want to change legislation, which is the nuts and bolts of it, that prevents certain things from happening through police reform, through other things. I want to create a citizen service board that monitors a civil service board. So those types of things are actionary, and they focus on long-term change. Uh, a march, man, they march Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Monday, they're back at work. And so people know this. Blackout day to not support white businesses. That's just one day. That's one day, and, man. And what difference does it make if tomorrow you, you're going to be back? Tomorrow you're back online buying Gucci Prada and, uh, and you're on Amazon and everywhere else. So that one day doesn't matter. So I'm matter. not a hater is what so you're saying. I, no, I'm, you're not a hater. I, I even feel like... Like, I'm glad that the name is off of Robert E. Lee High School. Me too. So I have no problem with that. But if my focus is to take away um, Confederate names, 
then that needs to be my focus. So now I'm going to LSU and on the 12 buildings where they have Confederate names and they have one removed, I'm going to work on those too because right. that's my passion. So for me, the agitator typically is not at the negotiation table, but they are a part of the process. So agitators are necessary, but uh, mediators are even more necessary, right? And, 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 but but here, here's also what, what, my, what my big thing is with that too. So especially when it came to the 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 plan of calling the school board flooding them with with calls right my issue with that was you have people who may not be as versed when it comes to policy and politics so let's say you get them to call the school board office 100 200 3000 times a day right at the end of it when Connie Bernard is still on the on the school board those people who are not plugged into the political process they're looking at it like I did this for nothing because in their mind, they think by the calls are going to remove her. But well, if they're I, I, not, I don't know what the strategy was behind that, so I won't speak on that. So and I'll the, say this because again, I, I, I don't know. The, so the strategy might have been to aggravate the heck out the school board and, and flood the lines. I have no idea what the what the total strategy was. Okay, but so, he, I, so I won't speak against that. Okay, I, but, I, I, I wasn't aware that that was part of it. Well, but but here's my thing with that though: if we know that she's an elected official, you're you're annoying the school board office, but you ain't annoying her. You still missing your target. My point what it was, you don't want people to check out of the process at that point because I got you because they, they feel defeated at that point. Exactly, and because so now they, they feel think, voiceless when you. They so, thought they were being in power, but they feel so. I, so I, then so when I, November I rolls around, when they check out, now we're trying to get them back to the table. In their mind, they're like, "Yo, I followed you last time. I'm not following you again. You've lost my support." So I have been a part of that process. I understand your mental um, piece behind it. I can understand how you would say that, but I don't know if they were told up front what they were getting into. That they weren't. A lot of them were not. But I, I, I wasn't a part of that process, I so understand. I can't speak like on I said, it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just bouncing it off of you. But, but for the record, but you're for, saying for me, I'm, I'm not a hater. Well, what I'm saying is, is I'm not saying you're not a hater. I'm not saying you're a hater. I'm saying I don't know that <laughs> process. So I'm not gonna speak on something. You know, we talked about this before. I understand. I, I'm not the school board member. I can't. I'm not gonna be in a box. I'm not even familiar with what was happening in that process. But what I will tell you is this is I want people to figure out what their passion and their calling is. Mm -hmm. If your calling is Confederate buildings, getting the names removed, go to every last one of them. Walk in your calling. If your calling is to be a part of a process and you are an agitator, make sure that you understand the fullness of that process. Right. Don't, get, don't put people in danger without a back end to it, right? Because essentially that's what it does sometimes. You never know what's going to happen in some of these rallies. As peaceful as you design it to be, it's not always that way. Right. I think we've had some great rallies in Baton Rouge where no incidents have happened. So when people talk about they're against it, I'm not against it. I'm for it. If the young kids need to vent, if there's a strategy behind the rally, I'm 100% for it. But just make sure we're just not going out there to saying we shall overcome. And we understand that the legislature on the back end, we are contacting our congressmen. We are contacting uh, U.S. Congress, U.S. Senate. We are contacting our state legislators. We are contacting our city council and our mayors, our police chief, police unions, everybody to make them be a part of the fight for long-term change. Don't just be a voice in the street, be a voice on paper as well by allowing legislature to pass. And so for me, I'm not against, again, against protesting. I'm not against boycotting. I'm for all of that. But I want it to be a part of a bigger process to make long-term change. And that's where I just think solution-oriented. So if I'm putting the walk together, I'm putting the protest together, it has to be something that's, that's sustainable. 
can't be a one-time movement. Everybody goes back to work. Right. It becomes a news cycle instead of something that's going to make long-term impact. I love it. We're going to leave it there. Derek Hurst, I appreciate you pulling up to the table with me, man. Been, been a very informative conversation. I said I've been knowing you over 20 years, so I really appreciate you coming through, man. Thank y'all for listening, watching. Um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We out.